Testing one, two. Testing one, two. Testing one, two, three, and we are a go. Welcome to a new episode of the Lonely Heart Sports Podcast. We apologize for not being on last week. It was just too beautiful outside. You know, we needed to take a hiatus, enjoyed a nice weather. But we're back after our week, uh, our week off. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about some golf, preview the U.S. Open, talk the Brooks and Bryson rivalry. We'll go into some typical hockey talk with the playoffs still going on. We will also talk a little bit about the ongoing NBA playoffs, and we'll also talk about Euro 2020 and how we have finished the first round or the first uh, week of the group matches, uh, first round of the group stage matches, actually, with everybody playing uh, all, at least one game in the groups. Uh, but going right into it, we will start with some golf talk, and well, sir... I'll have you start. Well, what do you? I'll have you start. Give me a, your opinion on everything. Well, since we're getting right into golf, I just want everyone to take a minute and give Jeremy a round of applause and good luck as he bought himself his own set of clubs and he goes on the wonderful expedition known as golf that frustrates a lot of people. But Jeremy, good luck with your future endeavors in that. But uh, no, the uh, third major of the year for golf. It's exciting time. The U.S. Open, probably one of my second favorite major to watch behind the Masters. Um, always brings the excitement with how long these courses play, especially playing at Torrey Pines this year. I think it's playing at 7.5, what they're playing at, 7,500 yards for all you non-golfing fans. Um, but, no, it's an exciting field. Uh, definitely going to be fun to watch. Supposed to have beautiful weather this weekend for them, hopefully. Um, John Rahm gets off his COVID. COVID would uh, – His COVID – he is clear. John Rahm is cleared to play. He is off of his COVID isolation. Thank you. Isolation is the word I was looking for. But yeah, he is right now the favorite to win the tournament, um, which I could agree with. John Rahm always seems to play good on these longer courses, especially how he looked at the memorial um, before he got kicked off the tournament because he got COVID. Um, he had a six stroke lead going into Sunday and then wasn't able to play. But I like his odds. Uh, it was one of my favorites. But, uh, no, clearly it's major, though. All the big names are going to be coming out. Um, so it'll definitely be interesting to see for sure. Oh, no, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And before I go into it a little bit further, um, uh, are we going to, like, you know, obviously, like, what was, as we get into more talking about the U.S. Open, uh, I just want to say that, uh, do you know, are we going to go the route of picking like a young gun or somebody that's been a name on tour for the past a few months? Uh, or are we going to try and say that Phil Mickelson's going to win the U.S. Open and end his curse just because of what happened on, at Kiowa Island just last month? Are we, I, I just want to put that out there right now. Are we, are we going to uh, you know, go that route here? Um, I really think Phil, unfortunately, has no chance at this tournament. I mean, I have been wrong plenty of times in my life, and I probably could be wrong again. But I think coming into this tournament, he has the worst odds of a defending major championship. Like, since he won the last one, I think he has the worst odds of the prior champion of the past last major coming into this one. Um, I just think that was just like a once-in-a-lifetime thing we're going to see. 
I mean, I don't think Phil really stands a chance, especially I was like the past at the Memorial. I don't think he made the cut at the Memorial. Um, I just, I wouldn't put my money on him. I mean, he does have great betting odds, but uh, I really don't think he stands a chance in this tournament. I mean, especially I, I get the PGA Championship was playing long as well, long and narrow. Um, that's really how this tournament's going to be playing as well. But I, I just don't think he stands a chance. I think it's going to be one of the, I think it's going to be a big name that wins this tournament. Um, like I said, I think John Rahm, I don't, I hate picking the favorites for golf, but just because he, he's got something to prove. I mean, he just lost out on 1.2 million at the Memorial for getting kicked out when there was his money to take. So he's going to be on a path of destruction there. Hopefully he just doesn't get frustrated with himself because he's one of those hotheads on tour. Um, I don't think Bryson DeChambeau stands a chance at this tournament, to be honest. I get he's the defending champ at Wingfoot, but the Torrey Pines is a hell of a lot different course than Wingfoot is. He's gonna have to play like he's gonna have to play at Torrey Pines like he tried to play at Kiowa, like how he tried to play at Kiowa at the PGA Championship due to how long the course is. Yep. But um, uh, the only reason why I brought up about Phil was because you know as we talk as we you know the week come as like the past week or two has come and gone and we get closer to the U.S. Open, obviously the talk of piping up the tournament and everything. And I, I don't know if you've been seeing these commercials and everything uh, because it's back on NBC. NBC has been touting it as, oh, maybe Phil will finally get his chance uh, and uh, win another major. Complete his career grand slam as well. This is the only major he hasn't won yet, which will be has, nice to see for him. But I really just don't think he's had a chance. Do you agree or what do you think about that? I mean, I don't think he's going to win. I don't think he's going to win. You think he I'm makes the cut? Phil makes the cut. I you know, I you know, honestly I feel like this is kind of like one of those things because golf is very golf is very unpredictable. You you know that yourself being a golfer, you know that being you being a fan of the sport of golf itself. It's a very unpredictable game. Uh, anything can literally anything can happen. And I'm going to agree with you. And I think John Rahm is going to win the U S open because he's going to go on a path of destruction, especially after what happened uh, back at the Memorial. And um, uh, you know, and the thing is though, is like, we all know he would have won the Memorial if he were not uh, kicked out of the tournament because of a COVID, positive COVID test, which is very much, a, very much a shame that that had happened. So yeah, he's definitely going to like kick some serious ass on the course. Uh, even though the U.S. Open is one is the one of the toughest major, one of the toughest majors, and I say the second toughest major after the Open. I always I understand that uh, the U.S. Open makes it they they design the courses and make the courses harder to play on for this tournament because they want to part they want to style it after how difficult the open is based on the roughs and uh, bunkers and everything but yeah and the open is different as well because european golf plays so much different than an american golf courses do and that's why once we get to Ryder cup i'm sure we'll talk more about that but that's why when it's played over in europe you see that european team one more because those players know how to play those courses whereas we'll get i don't want to get into the Ryder cup yet we still got a we'll definitely preview that because the Ryder cup is probably the most exciting thing in golf in my opinion yeah, we'll preview that like more later down the road. But yeah, no. So I like going back to the U.S. Open. John Rahm is definitely going to win. But going back to Phil, my hot take is that I think Phil could potentially finish it, at least in the top seven. You think he's in the final group on last day or no? I don't think he's in the final group. I think he'll be in the final. I think he'll be in the final. 
Well, I think he'll be in the third, uh, third to final group, actually. I think he'll finish top seven. I think he'll be in the third to final group. I mean, I understand that like he didn't he didn't do well at the previous tournaments after the PGA Championship. Obviously, you know because he, I think it was kind of like riding the high and mighty of uh, the record that he set as the oldest living ma- major, the oldest living major champion now, and also the fact that like you know he is in his he is fifty in his fifties. So you know golfing golfing like you know two turn two three tournaments in a row or two out of three two three uh, tournaments out of four or whatever you know on a competitive basis is not like golfing two three tournaments in a row or three two or three tournaments out of four uh like if you're in your third if you're in your 20s or 30s uh like most of the other guys are on tour so that's probably something that got to him as well but I believe that maybe he does have a chance to finish in the top seven. Um, but I do want to go away from Phil, though, for a second because I don't want to hype. I, there's a lot of good – it's going to be a good field. I mean, it's a great, great storyline, though, with Phil, but it is a great field. My, my favorite to win this tournament, just because he's a hometown boy, I'm pretty sure this is home course, is Xander Shoffley. Xander Shoffley definitely has a good shot to win the to uh, win the U.S. Open. I mean, his part, his performance in majors as his performance for the most part in majors uh, for at least going back the past year has been pretty exceptional. I mean, I just can't find a way to win yet. I hope he doesn't go down as one of those guys in his career where he wasn't able to get it done at the majors because right now that's how it looks for Xander Shoffley. I think he's probably one of the, if not the best golfer on tour right now. And he just can't seem to get it done in the big tournaments. So I'm hoping he changes that around, especially being in his hometown of San Diego. Um, it'd be nice to see him pull that one out. Another person I'd actually wouldn't mind has seen uh, win the uh, U.S. Open would be Victor Hovland. Uh, Victor Hovland is another. Not I wouldn't say he's like a huge favorite, but he's like up there in terms of being one of the favorites to win the win the U.S. Open. But I like his style of play. And the thing is, though, another and the thing is too is like you know I think he has I think he has what it takes in him to fight to win a major as well. And him, Shoffley, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be I'd be okay with either of them winning. Um, uh, well, another thing that's uh, really shocking for me to see too about this U.S. Open is that Ricky Fowler will not be participating in it because he failed to qualify through the qualifiers, actually. And that's sad too because he missed it by one stroke. Like, it is very hard to qualify for these major tournaments, and to miss it by one stroke is—I feel bad for him. I mean, he had a good showing at um, the PGA Championship. It looked like he was getting things back on track. Um, so I really hope that we see him back in majors soon because he is always fun to watch. But um, it looks like he's finally getting his groove back. I know he went through some swing coaches. He's been trying out some new swings and stuff and been trying to throw that as game, which definitely doesn't help. But, um, yeah, it will be sad not to see him there, especially with his seeing his best friends be playing in it with, like, Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth um, and him not being in it. That's, that's probably really sad for him. But hopefully we see him back in majors soon because he is always exciting and definitely is one of those guys that brings eyes to the game. Oh yeah. No, without a doubt. I mean, it is very much a, a shame and I do like the U S open, not only being one of the hardest majors to call, it's the hardest major to qualify for yes. in my honest opinion, because of all the qualifiers, not only you have the regional qualifiers and then you have the national qualifier and like, it all depends on like where you're placed and everything. You got to go through the qualify. 
Yeah, it's like qualifying to actually get to the group stage of the Champions League if you're like a Ukrainian soccer club or what a Ukrainian soccer team or whatever. You know, you win the you win like one of those small European leagues, and then you don't get to go to the group stage right away. You're placed in like the first or second qualifying stage, and you got to work your way up to finally get to the group stage. It's yeah, it's insane. Uh, I always think about it like that because um. Uh, in fact, actually, I think one of the regional qualifiers um, uh, is actually around, like, was held around my area, actually, like, uh, at a golf course nearby, actually. I, may have been. I think it was that course that uh, one of the majors was played at in, like, 2012, that one country club up in Rochester. Um, Oak Hill? Oak Hill, yes. I think it was played there. Oak Hill? Because I, I thought I may have heard a rumor that actually um, – uh, my where I went on Sunday, uh, Ravenwood actually held the uh regional qualifier because actually it is a nice course, it is a nice course. I'm not entirely sure. I, uh, my friend, I told I mentioned on the pod that was down in Kiowa for the PGA Championship, I think he was the one that told me it was at Ravenwood. You are right, buddy, it was at Ravenwood. Yes, Ravenwood held the uh, regional qualifier for this. Uh, and honestly, Ravenwood's actually a very newer course, actually. It was only like, found, it's only about 20 years old. Yeah, I mean, what, speaking of golf, though, on the topic of Rochester, when I come up to uh, watch one of those England games, not to hop into soccer real fast, but we should have to get out golfing, too, either before or after the game. We're not going to Oak Hill because I'm not paying. Well, I think I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure Oak Hill's private anyway, so we can't get in there. And it's it's you, you got to know someone there. I'm pretty sure. I, I know. I'm joking with you. That's why. Uh, <laughs> you sure I you also, don't want to pay to be in a country club just for one round of golf? Uh, I'm not paying fifty thousand dollars. Fun fact yeah. for people. Um, little side note: If you are ever, I know this because it's worked before. If you are <laughs> ever looking to golf a country club, and you don't want to pay for it, like you just want to pay, like they'll make you pay maybe forty dollars for a round. You tell them you're interested in joining the country club for the golf course, and they will make you pay like half the price for the round unless you test it out. And that's a quick way to get through the system. Kind of scummy because none, <laughs> none of us are going to pay to be in a country club, but that does work. So if any of you guys are golfers out there and want to play a country club, that's the way to do it. Uh, if they say no, don't blame me. You didn't hear that from me. You didn't hear that from us. I mean, Oak Hill is always looking for quote unquote new members. So if you want to become a new member, quote unquote, try make your make the trek up to Oak Hill. I, guess. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, yeah, no. I mean, going back to it, uh, yeah. So I I found that out about Ravenwood, and that's pretty cool actually. That uh, regional qualifiers held literally at a course like. 20 minutes away from my place but uh that must be a nice course then was it expensive i paid 27 when i went golfing for nine holes that's pretty average that's pretty average and so that's not bad for especially for a course that's holding a qualifier that's nice yeah no uh nine holes and the price of the carts for 27 so that's not too bad but i had a good time i had a good time honestly i had a good time uh definitely will go back i definitely want to go back there again honestly right Um, uh, how are you hitting the new clubs Hitting the new clubs, um, I, I told, I think I told you this like uh, in conversation. Uh, I'm planning on going to the driving range about ten minutes away from me because I need to like figure out like why I keep hitting the ball at the bottom of the club and not like smack in the middle like I should be. And actually, I'm taking a look at some of the. I can see like where I actually hit the ball on my club, and like I can see like 
that I hit it sometimes like at the bottom. Sometimes I was hitting it at the top. Sometimes like, you know, I can actually like see the ball and like, you know, where the ball was hit. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you know, I know what you're saying. That's good that you're really figuring that out. Cause I know a lot of new golfers struggle with that. So at least, you know, that you're not making solid contact. So that's good there. It'll make you better or faster. Yeah, plan on going. Plan on going to the range tomorrow, but or Thursday, depending on what the weather is. It's supposed to be nice. But uh, going back to uh, professional golf now, I just want to talk a little bit about the uh, great rivalry that uh, is good for golf. That some people may think that some older people or the PGA itself may not think is good for golf, and that's uh, the Bryson and Brooks rivalry. And I really think it's good for golf. Like it adds a fieriness to it. It 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 it, it attracts people. It attracts a new type of fan base to the game. And I understand that, like you know, golf is you know always about etiquette and it's always about classiness and everything. But I feel like the rivalry itself is just like getting people into the game in terms of like you know exposure for not for knowing about golfers and the brand exposure of the PGA and not, and brand exposure for these two golfers, but also other golfers as well that uh, chip in and put in their two cents. You know what I'm saying? No. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the rivalry. It's kind of like if you look at any other sports in the world, there's always a rivalry going on. And I know the PGA like tries to hide this stuff for whatever reason. I, I don't get why they don't want to expose it as much. But no, it's great for the game. It definitely brings eyes. I mean, I I really highly doubt we're going to see ever see a fight on the golf course. Like if we're talking about Bryson and Brooks, I doubt if they ever get paired up together. Like we're going to see a fight on the golf course. They're probably not going to talk to each other the whole round. We'll see one of the guys beat one guy by like three or four strokes maybe. And that'll be the end of it. But it's just great to see like on the outside, like everything that's going on, all the eyes bringing brought to it. But um. Did you, speaking of that, though, did you actually see uh, Bryson DeChambeau? Uh, he declined the U.S., uh, the PGA and the U.S. Open contacted Bryson and his uh, manager, or, yeah, manager, agent, whatever you want to call him, and said, how do you feel about praying with uh, Brooks? And he said no. Oh, why? Shit, well, done it. He should have done it. That would have been great. Great. That would have been great. He should have been. I, that would have been great ratings for TV right there. I understand that. Like, if it was the opening round, if it's the opening round, like you know, you're probably like you're, you know, you're probably gonna have them like be the afternoon, uh, mm -hmm. in the afternoon pairings, so you can actually well, see them on TV and not in like. In my opinion, I would rather see them. Like, I would think it will be a better rivalry if it like, comes naturally. Like, say. Bryson and Brooks this coming Sunday are playing in the final pairing together. I think that'll be a lot better than just forcing it there. So I would rather see that, but I also get where you're coming from is just put them together and let's see what happens. Yeah. But I would I rather mean, see them meet at a major on a Sunday and have those two go toe to toe on the golf course. I think that'll be great. Um, and then whoever comes out on top. So I, well, I think Brooks already had won this rivalry. I mean, Bryson's kind of pushing it to the side. And so you clearly know Brooks is like beating him in this rivalry. Everyone can see, and he's kind of beating just really like a dead horse at this point. Like Brooks loves it, and because Brooks is like a guy's guy when it comes to like the sports where he's kind of like that, like it's like the football guy or golf, I guess you could say. Whereas Bryson is that like nerdy science guy, like oh, what can I do to my ball to make it go farther? That loser, all into the science and math of everything. No, shut up. I'm Team Brooks for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, clearly Brooks is winning this one and is just taking it right to the ground with this. And Bryson wants nothing to do with it. But Bryson really kind of is the one that started it by saying, I'm in your head. 
Whereas now as Brooks starts getting, or he's, or yeah, now Brooks is in his head and he wants nothing to do with it. And he's, you can't just give up when someone's like, if you're going to bully someone and then they bully back, you can't just give up and say, I'm done with this. That's not how no, it works. You have to, I mean, if you the have school bully got bullied back, I don't think he would just stop bullying the other person. I think he's got to keep going. You can't just say, I don't want any part of this and just move on with it. No, that's not how it works. The world wants to see these two go toe-to-toe on the golf course. Fuck it, maybe even put him in a rough and rowdy like we said uh, two weeks ago. Just put him in a rough and rowdy and let him those two go. I mean, they're both put big boys. And, put him in a rough and rowdy. I mean, I'm fine with that too. I mean, it kind of, the funniest part of it was like when Brooks Kepka and even like – and even like not even Kepka himself, but just people associated with Kepka, all of a sudden started getting fans to um, uh, call Bryson Brooksy. Well, that was because the part of my take guys had said that, and then it just caught wind. And then I can't believe this is just an absolute joke to me um, for all you non golfers out there. So the part of my take guys and Brooks Kepka got that got everyone to call Bryson DeChambeau Brooksy. They gave him that yeah. nickname Brooksy. And he got people kicked out of the last. Was it? It was. I think it was at the memorial, where they're kicking people out of the golf tournament for saying Brooksy. Like this is little badge. Like I get if they were calling him like if they're like swearing at him or like like demeaning but, him or some way. But they're but, calling him Brooksy. You can't just. But they're not swearing at him. They're exactly. Just they're, it's just a little banter. That's all it is. Like you can't get people. Like that shows how. That shows how soft Bryson is and can't handle it just because he was getting pe- people kicked out of the tournament. And I think that was just an absolute just a soft move by him oh it really is a soft move that's like going to that's like going to a basketball game and you call lebron james a bum and he just says no you can't do that i want you kicked out right it's like, like going to like a hockey or a basketball game where you boo the other team there's like you yeah, have not allowed here everyone who's booing the away team get out of here that's just i mean it's kind of like it's kind of like the lightning when they were kicking people i know they stopped it now but when they were kicking people out of the stadium for wearing the away team jersey and like oh, the, yeah, the good yeah, yeah. like that was an absolute joke. And uh, thankfully, the Lightning uh, got away from that. But it wasn't even the Lightning that made that rule. It was the fans who were complaining about it. So the Lightning made it a rule, and they got so much backlash. They said, "Never mind. You can just wear whatever jersey you want." I mean, if you pay for it, you should be able to be there. In my opinion. I mean, my thing is, is like you are paying for you. I mean, my thing is. In terms of the, what happened with the Lightning, you are expecting away fans at any atmosphere you go to. Exactly. In terms of golf uh, with this, I mean, like, it's not like the fans were swearing and calling Bryson uh, and DeChambeau were, they like were a bitch. During his or, back they were calling, or anything. Yeah. They were, they were like, just, they were letting him hit. They were letting him do his, like, pre-shot routine and everything. It was after he hit the ball. They were like, okay, Brooksy. And, like, Brooksy. that's all it is. It's, they're not disrupting your backswing or anything. They're just giving you banter. It's like, when I went up two years ago, I went up to Pittsburgh when the Bills were playing the Steelers in that when it got pushed to the Sunday night game, uh, when we could have clinched the playoffs there, when we won and clinched playoffs. Yep. Um, I went up there like knowing I'm going to probably get beat up by someone, and I always had a fight in the stands with the Pittsburgh fan because he was pissed we were winning, and I was giving them banter like they were us. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, though, is that's what you expect like when you go to a football game or even a basketball game or even a hockey game. Right. I mean, uh, Or even it's, a, it's, a soccer game. Any, any game, any sport where you have like a way fan show, but you expect you're going to take shit. Like that's basically all it is. But golf, like you don't really have like a home team and a way team. You just have a lot of golfers going. So this is the banter that golf needs to bring younger, the younger generation to the sport. I get coronavirus has helped the sport a lot. Um, just because that's really the only thing you could do outside that was open when it first started. So it brought more eyes to this well, people playing and more eyes to the sport. And now you want to kick people out for having a little banter, letting people have fun. 
Yeah, no, I think that's completely dog shit and horse shit when you think about it. Because the thing is, though, is like, like, like we said, we, like we both said, he, they, Brooke, uh, Bryson DeChambeau was allowed to take his uh, routine. He was allowed to do his swings. He was allowed to do what he needed to get done. But the thing is, though, is like the fans were not actually saying anything derogatory to him. So I don't get why he needed to be a baby about this just because uh, somebody called somebody called me Brooksy. Rent-free. Rent-free. Brooks is rent-free in his head now. Like like uh, Bryson said a couple weeks ago saying he was living rent-free in Brooks' head. And how Brooks is running free in his head, and it's clearly apparent. Because the worst thing you can do when you get a nickname you don't like is t- let people know that you don't like that nickname. Because if they, They're if you let people know, it's going to stick. If yep. Bryson, like, if he let people call him Brooksy for two or three weeks, didn't say anything, people were like, okay, this is old. He clearly doesn't care. The nickname would have went away. But it's clearly now, since he is letting people know he doesn't like the name, it is just going to stick, and people are going to ride with it until the end of time. Oh, a hundred percent, one hundred percent. I mean, I, I, you know, there's a friend. Like, I have a friend. I have friends of mine that have nicknames uh, that had nicknames that they said that they didn't like, and we just kept railing them with that nickname, and they clearly got pissed. Well, you gave us that ammunition, and like now you have to pay for it. Right, it's your fault at that point. Like that, that is literally the worst thing in the world you can do. Is if you have a name you don't like, let people know you don't like the name. That's the worst thing you can do. And Bryson's stupid for letting people know he didn't like the name. Like, like I said, let it ride out for two or three weeks. It might last maybe the summer. Let it just ride. Don't say a word about it. People are going to forget about it and not do it again. But now every single time Bryson is at a tournament for until he retires, people are going to be saying Brooksy just because he doesn't like it. Exactly. But exactly. I guarantee you this week there are so many clips of people at the U.S. Open saying, come on, Brooksy, after – Bryson hits a shot, guaranteed. It's oh just my God. inevitable. Imagine this. And you can't kick the problem is if enough they people are saying they, they can't kick everyone out, especially if they paid, you can't kick them out. They're not doing anything wrong. It's not like they're running up to Bryson's ball when it's on the fairway, picking it up and just sprinting away with it. That'd be a little, that'd be out there. That'd be that'd way be too much. Like, I would understand. Whoever did, if somebody actually like ran out onto the fairway anytime Bryson DeChambeau hit a ball and took the ball and ran. That's a lot of balls right there, and yes, they should definitely be kicked out of the tournament. Right, that's like the that. that's like the equivalent of like streaking during a sports game. <laughs> like you deserve to be like, yes, it's great. It'd be great media, but you deserve to be kicked out. Like people who streak know they're going to get kicked out, but it's fun and arrested. Yeah, but if one person like this week, if one person runs and takes Bryson's ball, I will lose it. I, will, I think the entire internet would lose it, honestly. If somebody just, like, ran, you know, first tee, thir- Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon or whatever, like, his first tee shot, it goes to wherever. Somebody just takes and runs and, right. you know, shit. Maybe, I, I, maybe me and you got to go to a golf tournament, just do a vlog, and one of us sprint across <laughs> our fairway and Bryson hits a shot, say, good shot, Brooks, you take his ball and just sprint away. <laughs> I don't, think they'd catch, time, but it's worth it. I don't think they'd catch I don't think they'd catch I don't think they'd catch you. They'd probably catch me. Hey, I know <laughs> I know something. We could have a scapegoat. You want you you want to set up a scapegoat to do this for us? Blame Andy Paiska. Damn straight. We're we're gonna send Pi my name is Andy Paiska. Or or me. just pay for Paiska's uh tournament ticket and let him do it and then bail him out of jail afterwards. I think you probably go to jail for that, just like you would streak, and I would assume. I wonder what the probably, rules are on that. Probably. Who said we're paying for his ticket? <laughs> Who said? Oh, they, they, I mean, if you if he was going to do that, I would pay for his ticket. But if he did, if if he didn't do it, I would make him refund me. Oh well, it's Paiska. He'll say he'll do it, and then he'll back out at the last second. <laughs>
as much as I love Paiska, we all know that's how he at. That's how he is. Right, you're supposed to be on the podcast once he didn't even show up. He was, still wants to be on the podcast and talk about the Red Sox, and that's not fucking happening. No one wants to hear about the Red Sox, Paiska. No one. <laughs> Oh god. But we're moving on from golf and rivalries and you know just all around shithousery. Well, we're gonna continue into shithousery, but hockey. We're we are into the final four of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So we are already on to game two of each of the Stanley Cup semifinal matchups. Um lobster <laughs> hockey. And Borelli's are up one to nothing on the team that everybody hates because they somehow circumvented the cap and the Canadians <laughs> find themselves down one nil, one nothing in their series to a team that still has a, that has a fan base that still doesn't understand how hockey operates. Uh, well, hang on, let's get the elephant out of the room before we start the hockey talk. I, I, I would like Jeremy to apologize for telling everyone that the Avalanche can go 16 and 0 to win the cup. Oh yeah, I think we need to throw that out there right now. We oh, uh, we I was about to go around. there. I was about to go okay. there. I wanted to last week before <laughs> while we were on our hiatus, but I mentioned it on Twitter numerous times. I cursed the Avs. I will admit that I cursed the Colorado Avalanche. I said that they were going to go sixteen and zero. They ended up losing four straight and getting eliminated from the playoffs. That is a go moment. And <laughs> honestly, you know what? I'm. I don't know. I mean. That might be the low point for this podcast. That, no, that's a high point for this podcast, if you ask me. I mean, it's just kind of hilarious how that happened. I mean, you really don't ex- – I did, did anybody actually expect the Avs to lose four straight? I mean, I thought it would have been a back-and-forth series. Uh, they go up 2-0 in the series. They uh, thrash Vegas 7-1 in the first game. You think maybe the Avs would sweep Vegas, or at least if Vegas came back, like they would for- make it go to 7 Uh but when Colorado lost game five and Vegas was going to game six at home, I'm like, this series is over no matter what. I was in shock. But uh, I'm not going to blame myself. I'm actually going to blame the Avs organization because they are owned by Stan Kroenke. Stan Kroenke teams fail to win when it matters most. Well, it was actually completely a rough week for uh, Colorado sports in a whole. I mean, you had the Avalanche was four in a row. And then you had the Denver Nuggets get swept by the uh, Suns. So it's just it's just a rough week for. Uh, I don't understand Kroenke owned the team, by the way. <laughs> but no, it's just a rough week for that whole fan base and whole. But uh, I I don't think anyone expected, especially since I at the beginning of the season picked the Avalanche to win the cup. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think this team will win a cup within the next two to three years. Um, but I I don't think anyone saw that coming. Like, especially, I would have get if it went to game seven, they lost, but not four. You take a 2-0 series lead, and then you just throw four games away. They had a 2-0 series lead, and then they had a 2-0 lead in game five. And yeah. they lost game five in overtime, 3-2, where they ended up to having been 3-2 down. Which and then was they got demolished in game four. Yeah. It was them- thrashing. Yeah, it was crazy. It was ridiculous. But they're, they're not there. They're setting up tea times in Colorado or Quebec or wherever the fuck they are because, you know, maybe they should just move back to Quebec City and bring back the Nordique at this point. Maybe they'll actually win. But uh, there is one team in Quebec. There is one team in Quebec that's actually doing something, and they're one one nothing down to Vegas. Um, uh, that was just an absolute thrashing I saw last night. Um, uh, 
Vegas looked like they're too good for Montreal, and I'm afraid that the Canadians are going to get swept, which is very painful because I really don't want to see Vegas make the cup final. I really don't. I mean, two cup final appearances in their four years of existence is very is would be very awful to see, not just because I'm a disgruntled Sabres fan, but also just because like they really still have no clue about hockey out in Vegas, and they're, they're, it was it was fun when it first came out, like, oh, Vegas has a hockey team. Vegas. Then you start to realize that, no, these people, they're just annoying out there and have no clue about the sport. Yeah. So so please lose to Montreal in six games, and I will be happy. I, I just don't think Montreal Montreal's depth can compete with Vegas's depth. I think that is really going to run to the issue. It's the first time this season we're seeing a Canadian team play a non-Canadian team. And I just think, unfortunately, as hot as Carey Price has been, I just don't think that Montreal has – I would love to see the Canadians win, don't get me wrong, but I just don't know if they're deep enough. I mean, those style of hockey they play, the Canadians need to score first against this Vegas team and then just kind of shut everything down like they've seen all playoffs. They'll get the first goal and then just sit back on it and let their defense do the work. But the Golden Knights, they're just a scoring machine, and I just don't think they have enough firepower to compete with that. I, I agree with you there. I mean, the thing is, though, is like, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights, they have, you know, they have Mark Stone. They have they have Max Pacioretty. They have Alec Martinez. They have Alex Petrangelo. They have William Carlson. They have Jonathan Marchand-Show. I mean, the thing is, though, is like, you know, they had most of them. Some of those players I mentioned, like, were Tate, were brought into the team like when they first came into the league but then the thing is there is that like they added more pieces and you know kind of like you know i i won't i don't really want to say they built a super team but the thing is though is like they have some of the better players in the league on their team and not and we're just not talking like two or three two or two or three of the better players like the like i literally have just named like at least like six or seven guys that are very very good at the game of hockey so it is just a complete mismatch there i I mean, I'm not saying that, like, you know, what Montreal has on their side is not awful because, I mean, they have Tyler Toffoli, they have Jesperi Kokiniemi, they have Brendan Gallagher, they have Patrick Deneau, they have uh, they have Carey Price in that. So, like, you know, on paper, like, it looks like it could be a good matchup, but on the ice, I think Vegas is just too good for them. And uh, just based on how Vegas plays compared to how Montreal has been – what Montreal has been used to going up against, especially playing a Jets team, the Jets and the Leafs and – you know, just playing crappy Canadian team, the other crappy Canadian teams uh, in that division uh, in the regular season. So it's uh, just very sad to see for the moment. Um, uh, so the thing is, there is um, uh, I'm act- I'm actually kind of disappointed with that. But if Montreal loses Game Two, I think that they are probably going to get swept. Yeah, I think I think painful. I think the Canadians need to take one in Vegas's barn at least to stand a chance in this series. Um, I mean, night. I mean, you, the first ten minutes of the first period, Vegas really dominated. Then the second half of the first period, Montreal dominated them. But uh, Vegas, I think, like I said, Vegas is just way too deep. I mean, I get Caulfield looked good. I mean, Corey Perry and Tyler Tafori are great. Um, I mean, but you really only got other than that, Brendan Gallagher and Joe Edinson, or Nick Suzuki, who can really do anything. And then maybe Shea Weber on a good day. 
But uh, this Vegas team is just way too deep. Yeah, I agree with you there. And when you talk about how you know Montreal looked good for that 10 minutes there, like when they scored, when Caulfield scored, I thought maybe Montreal had a chance, but then Vegas just kicked it into an extra gear. Yep. And then Montreal, I re- it was over after – it was over after it was three to one. Montreal had no chance of coming back, um, which is painful to see there. It really is. But there is a lot of hockey left in that series. Uh, there's a lot of hockey that's going to be left in this. And in the other series semifinals that we I want to go into now, and that is uh, how the Islanders uh, are up 1-0 on the defending champion Lightning after taking game one in uh, Amalia Arena, which came as a shock to me. I'm not going to lie. Well, I mean, America's team went and got it done. I'm riding this Islanders hype all the way. I think the Islanders have a chance to win the Cup. I mean, it's going to be their last season in the Coliseum, and they have looked absolutely phenomenal. Barry Trotz has his team doing immaculate things right now. Matthew Barzell looks like an absolute stud. But um, the thing that worries me as well is the Lightning's depth. That is the one issue that we're going to run into that the Islanders, not us, the Islanders are going to run into is the Lightning's depth. Because you looked at Boston and you say, okay, after the top two lines in Boston, you oh, really their bottom have, six is awful. Yeah, their bottom six is terrible. But you look at the Lightning, their, their uh, first nine is just unreal. And that fourth line, what it needs to, just comes in and gets the job done. Um, but if the Islanders stick to their style of play where they just kind of keep everything compact and not let any shots through from the point or anything – they really do have a chance in the series, but like I said, that depth of the Lightning really worries me. I think that the de- the depth of the Lightning definitely worries me too. I mean, I mean, but but the thing is, there is like, yeah, I'm not gonna. I don't want to go into it comparing like you know the Lightning's depth compared to Boston's depth or lack thereof for the Bruins at this point. But uh, I think it's gonna come down to like how Barry Trotz is able to coach uh, against the Lightning actually mm-hmm. because. You know, the thing is, though, is like Barry Trotz like did a magnificent job of shutting down Charlie Coyle throughout the series against the Bruins because he knew how much of an impact could he provides for the Bruins. So if Barry Trotz is able to have the Islanders defense shut down, you know, shut down one or two player key players on the lightning, it doesn't obviously have to be like a big name like you can. It could be like one of their better depth guys, you know, that could be, sh- you know, kept out of play for the entire game or even when they're needed most or whatever. So I feel like it all dep- it'll come down to the coaching for the Islanders and see how well Barry Trotz continues to do because he's an exceptional coach. Uh, when yeah. he retire, when he retires from coaching, uh, whenever that is, you know, I don't see it being anytime soon because I feel like he's still got a few more, a lot, a few more years left in him. But like he will be a hall of he he will be a hall of fame coach after he retires. Um, uh, and I still think that he's probably one of the best coaches in hockey right now. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not. You know, I'm not like saying that John Cooper isn't a good coach because John Cooper's an, a, a great coach too. But uh, I think oh, yeah. uh, I think Barry Trotz is a better coach. Um, uh, yeah, he's got the Islanders playing how they want to play. Um, well, and the thing that to me too in this series, I think at the end of the day it's going to come down to goaltending because I mean Simone Varlamov has looked fantastic, and then Andre Vasilevsky is probably the best goalie ever, in my honest opinion. He's going to go down as one of the best goalies ever. Um, but at the end of the day, it's going to come down to goaltending. Which goaltender is hotter on the nights that it's needed? 
I agree. I agree with you there. Another thing, too, is like, you know, I always have when it comes to the playoffs, I always have a feeling it comes down to the atmosphere. And well, you mentioned a full barns, though. And no, you mentioned it like they the Islanders are playing this. The Islanders are practically playing every game in the Coliseum as if it's their last. Mm -hmm. And that old barn still has a few stories. That old barn, when they played Boston, and I said, Hey, this is where the podcast won't go down. I said, Isles and six, and Isles and six happened. And I really think that, and (laughs) I really think the Isles could take that wave of like how the barn's atmosphere is and go to the cup final. And and talk about that for a second. Did you hear? Um, game six when they were playing Boston, that whole third period was just a party. It, it sounded like a year. It sounded like a European soccer field where the the crowd was just singing the whole time, and that's what the Coliseum sounded like. I mean, they're they're chanting the New York Saints. They're chanting losers to the to the Bruins. Bruins. And it was just amazing. I uh, really that, think- I think that helps a lot too with how how much into this team these Isles fans are and how rowdy the city is. They, that's why the main reason I think they can pull this off is this is going to ride that energy from the hometown crowd. Yeah, I don't think that – I don't think Lightning fans really are crazy like that. I mean, the thing is, though, is like, you know, well, I, in my honest opinion, I really don't think Florida and the state, the state of Florida and hockey go together for the most part, in my honest opinion. I mean, they try their best, but in my, I just don't think it works. Uh, I, I just don't think it works. Uh, but going up, you know, to the island, though, back in the Coliseum, like, they're crazy up there. I mean, you know, uh, they have been cr- – even though, like, you know, they had periods in the 90s, like, where they were just complete garbage. They had – they still had faith in their team. They still love their team. Now, you know, even, like, before Trotz came in, um, uh, or, you know, even in the 2000s, 2010s, like, you know, the Islanders fans, like, they, they love that team. They love that Coliseum. Um, they, it's just a, it's just a madhouse there. And the thing is too, is like, this is something that the state of New York needs actually. I mean, when you really think about it, because. Well, especially there, I mean, those fans come from a losing culture. I mean, they have grown up with the Islanders sucking. They have grown up with the Jets sucking. Um, Yes, because it depends what, yeah, the Nets suck too. The Mets, the Mets, you. Well, the, net, the Nets sucked as well, I'm saying. Well, not now, but yes, the Nets. Well, they did, but the Mets culture. sucked growing up for that. They were Mets fans, depending on if they were Yankees or Mets fans. But yeah. uh, they're just that city comes from a losing culture. And to see, I mean, they celebrated uh, the second round win against the Bruins like it was a Stanley Cup, which is, I mean, it's not a good look because you didn't win everything yet. But I also understand where they're coming from because they're not really like used to this hype around a team. No, not at all. They're really not. And that's like why I feel like they could ride off. That's like, you know, like we're saying, they could ride off the wave and go there. But I mean, the thing is, though, is there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of hockey that needs to be played. And who knows, maybe Tampa will win the next four and send them packing and bring and give us the final that we don't, uh, that most people want, but I don't want, I don't want the lightning and the golden Knights in the final. I think you'll, I, I really think that it will be the most overhyped final ever in my honest opinion, because yeah, 
the Vegas Golden Knights and Tampa Bay Lightning have excite play exciting hockey. But the thing is, though, is like, do we really want to see Tampa in a final again? Do we really want to see the, especially with how non Lightning fans say that their two Stanley Cups don't count uh, because one was in a bubble and the other one was, uh, and the other one they felt like they uh, was cheated from Cal was cheated from Calgary or whatever. However, that ha- went down in two thousand and four, and then Vegas. If you don't live in Vegas, like, do you really like the Golden Knights? Like, I mean, well, bandwagon fans do because it's a new exciting thing. I get those fans go crazy there, but I think everyone in Vegas always goes crazy no matter what. So I don't know if they really understand hockey or they just like the hype of a new team that's good. I think it's a little bit. I I would like to see this team in Vegas. Like, if they get bad, what actually happens to that crowd? Like, I get, I mean, there's some fans who, Clearly, when your team is losing, people aren't going to show up. Yeah. But uh, I think in Vegas, it'll be like probably like a Florida Panthers when they have a bad season, just no one's going to be there. Yeah, they'll be. The, the Vegas has a lot of casinos and uh, entertainment venues to go to, so they wouldn't need to be going to a uh, team over to watch a crappy hockey team. Exactly. But, but uh, I mean, that's something for the future to look for, look out for uh, and see especially with uh, a lot of those guys, like as they get older and then cap situations obviously will play an effect too. But uh, that's a lot for down the road. Um, uh, But, um, uh, you know, going into it, um, uh, you know, do you think the Islanders actually get the job done against the Lightning and make make the cup final? Yes, I am 100% on board with this Islanders bandwagon right now. Um, I am riding the Islanders all the way to the cup. If they don't make the cup, I don't care who wins unless it's Montreal. Um, but other than, like, you know, like you said, if we saw a Lightning and Vegas Cup, I wouldn't care that much. I would still watch because it's hockey. But I won't care as much if the Islanders aren't in there. I'm on this Islanders bandwagon. I'm riding it to the end. And if they lose, I'm going to hop on another bandwagon. But that's okay. The only reason why I would go for Vegas is because of Mark Andre Fleury. I like Mark. I love Mark Andre Fleury. I think he was wrongfully kicked out of Pittsburgh uh, because they thought he was too old, and he's clearly proving them wrong. But uh, in terms of the other series, I hope Montreal comes back. I hope they get it together, and I really stay. And you know what? No hot take. And uh, screw it. Montreal's coming back, and they're winning in six. They are going to their first cup final since 93. They, a Canadian team will be in the cup final for the first time since 2004. I'm calling it right now. And you know what? I, uh, I don't care if I turn out to be wrong. I don't care. I really want to see the how did you get here final between the Montreal Canadiens and the New York Islanders because this is something that both of those franchise, franchise needs. It's actually something that Long Island needs because of how everything with COVID in New York State had happened. And this is something that can Canada needs too because of how just fucked up everything was uh, up in Canada with COVID and with everything getting back to normal. I really like to, it's going to be a part, it would be a part, it would be much more of a party if Montreal and the Islanders made the cup final than if Vegas and Tampa did, because while Tampa is used to winning now and Vegas, well, they party no matter what. I unfortunately don't think as much as I'd love to see it. I don't think Montreal has what it takes to get out of this round. Um, I honestly think Vegas might sweep them as much as that hurts me to say I'm taking Vegas and four in that series. 
Okay. Okay. We'll just see where it goes. We're, I, like I said, I don't care if I'm wrong. I don't care. I, I would, I would rather be, I would rather declare. And this, this is coming from, and you know, the sad thing is like, you know, I'm really surprised that I haven't really taken any stick as be as rooting for the Habs as much as I have in the playoffs as being a Sabres fan, because the Sabres and Canadians have a rivalry that goes back to the South that goes back to when the Sabres were created in the, in the seventies. So I'm really surprised that I have not taken a lot of stick for rooting for the hat for rooting for Montreal and the same thing with the Islanders because the Sabres and Islanders in the eight in the eight in the eighties really had a little bit of a rivalry there too. So I'm really surprised that I have not been taking getting a lot of stick there. But you know <laughs> what? But you know what? It's all it's all good. I guess I I guess uh say I guess uh my friends who are Sabres fans uh hate Tampa and Vegas as much as I do. So we'll go with that. But uh I want to shift now to the other playoffs that are happening and talk a little bit of the basketball uh, shift over to the NBA playoffs. Uh, we are into the semifinals of the NBA playoffs in the Western and Eastern Conference. Uh, the Phoenix Suns have already clinched their spot in the Western Conference finals uh, after sweeping the Denver Nuggets and league MVP Nikola, jo- Nikola, Nikola Jokic, uh, which, I mean... This is that's good for the Suns. It's their first conference appear. It's their first conference finals appearance in a decade. So uh, there's still th- there's still one more spot to be played for. The Clippers and the Jazz are tied at two two, and then the Eastern Conference has yet to be decided too. With both of those series at two game tied at two games apiece between the Sixers and Hawks, and then the Nets and and Bucks, and. You know, I'm 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 gonna be very honest with you. I it's, it's been too boring for me to actually pay a lot of attention to. Yeah, I mean, I you kind of knew the Suns were gonna clinch their place. Um, I think that I mean, Chris Paul is showing he's probably one of the best, if not the best point guard ever to play the game. Um, at the way he's playing right now, I mean, wherever he's gone, I mean, he's made the teams better wherever he's gone, and just being him with Devin Booker, um, he's they right now are on a rampage, especially just sweeping the Nuggets, which is huge for them. Um, but uh, no, yeah, but, I mean, the problem is the basketball. Is just you always got the superstars. It does. It's not about the name on the front with basketball. It's about the name on the back, and that's how you get places. But I am shocked with the Nets. I had thought the Nets were going to sweep the Bucks, and for a while the Nets looked just unbeatable to me. But a Kyrie Irving goes down and gets injured. And uh, now that series is two-two with the Bucks and the Nets. I mean, hopefully Giannis can pull down past that because I just I like to see super teams not win. So hope, hopefully good. that the Bucks can uh, get through the Nets. Yeah, I mean, my thing is is like I'm with you there. I mean, I. I do. I'm not a fan of this Nets team. I'm really not. They keep all the networks keep overhyping this Nets team. They keep talking about the greatness of James Harden and the greatness of Kyrie Irving and the greatness of Kevin Durant. And like you know, you're not wrong about the greatness of Kevin Durant. But the thing is, though, is that the other two haven't played all that much. I mean, Kyrie Irving is out for Game Five and could be out for the rest of the series, depending on how much how long it goes. James Harden has been injured for a good amount of the season. And two, and you really haven't seen those three on the court together. And as much as I really want to see the Nets go down, 
this isn't the way I want to see the Nets go down because of injuries, because, you know, because, because of injuries. But, I mean, you, you, pl- you have to play with who you have. And I feel, and I really. Well, exactly. They're part of any sport. Injuries are part of any sport. I mean, it will suck to see for the Nets because they wanted the super team to bring a championship to Brooklyn. But guess what? Sometimes the cards don't play in your favor. No, they don't. And I'm not saying that I wanted the cards to play in Brooklyn's favor. I just no, like what you're saying, though. Yeah, I would have loved to see the Nets lose with a healthy uh, James Harden and Kyrie Irving because then I can actually say that this next this Nets season was a bust and that everybody should be fired. But because the Nets are probably going to be without one of those two, uh, not alongside Kevin Durant, the networks are going to find a way to actually say that this Nets season wasn't a failure when actually it is. Because when they lose, it's not an if, it's when they lose to the Bucks. They are losing to the Bucks, in my honest opinion. Be, whether it's six games or seven games, uh, the Nets have the Nets aren't winning, in my honest opinion. And even if they did beat the Bucks, they wouldn't beat. I don't think they would even beat the Hawks or Sixers and not go to the finals. But um, this Nets season is going to be a failure based on how they have performed in the playoffs. Um, and I'm okay, and I'm okay with that because I don't like this Nets team um, in terms of it. Because and, and I know that su- there have been super teams in the past, but the thing is though is like it was only like a big two or a big three and some good depth. This Nets team has like a big three, and then they have like depth players who have been known players and stars on other teams in years past. Like they have Blake Griffin. They had they had Lamarcus Aldridge for like ten games, and then he decided to retire because of heart problems, sadly. But then, like you also have, but they also gave away a lot of good depth too to get to where they're at. And I'm thinking to myself, well, why are you doing that now? Now the Nets are kind of screwed because they don't have uh, that depth that they had when they traded for Harden, and then they also still don't have Spencer Dinwiddie, who's actually a good young good young guard. He sadly uh, had. He sadly had a season-ending injury uh, early in the regular season, so so everybody's really forgetting about that too. But um, yeah, uh, it really is a top-heavy team at the end of the day. Kind of like once those starters come, yeah. Once the the starters come off, I mean, you've really got no one to kind of just even hold that lead for you. It's like when. It's like the Leafs or even the Oilers. You take McDavid and Dreisaitl off the ice for the Oilers, then then you can see like the cracks and uh, the cracks between everything for the Oilers and how they all fall apart. And even like, well, actually, you know, I'm not even going to say the Leafs because their depth actually looked better than Matthews and Marner in that series against Montreal. So who knows? I, so that actually wipes out my theory about the Leafs. But uh, with the Oilers there, I guess you can make the two comparisons and see like where I'm coming from. But uh, going into the Sixers and Hawks, I think that this uh, – I. Don't, I, I really haven't. I know that it's two-two, and I real, and I know that Embiid has been, uh, you know, he's been on, but at the same time, like he's been off because of injuries, which is a shame. But I feel like if Embiid continues to put dominate, the that series will come down to whether Embiid is healthy or not. If he's a hundred percent, the Sixers go through. If he's not a hundred percent and he can't keep his temper under control because of the refs, because of his problems with the refs and Hawks players, then the Sixers will lose to the Hawks. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think I still think this is the Sixers series. I think the Sixers are the best team in the East, in my opinion. I would take them over a healthy Nets team, to be honest. Oh, I'm going to agree with you there. I'm going to agree with you there. 
And then for the Clippers and Jazz, I it's a toss up. The Jazz win two at home. The Clippers win two at home. It's now best of three. I like I this. Think, I like this for the Jazz. I think the Jazz could do it. Uh, I would hate to see the Clippers actually go to the conference finals, mainly just because I'm tired of, and it all goes down to the networks once again, because I really have not followed a lot about the Clippers, but every time I turn on ESPN or whatever, they're always talking about Kawhi and Paul George and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Uh, We do not care. Stop beating the dead horse. But uh, so it would be ESPN loves their stars. That's the issue. No, exactly. They love their stars. They love their stars. How many times have they admitted, how many times have they admitted it on like first take or sports center? Oh, there's too many star players that are injured. I really hate to see it. Like you can't say you can't say that on television well, for fuck's sake. To hop off topic of this real fast though, I'm just going off the fact that ESPN loves their stars. Um, since they just got the hockey rights at the UFC fights this past weekend when Justin Bieber showed up with Austin Matthews. ESPN only said that Justin Bieber was there, didn't even nod to the fact that he was walking in with Austin Matthews, who was probably the face of hockey right now, besides Connor McDavid, didn't even nod to that. So it's a bad look for them who just got the rights for the NHL to not, not gonna, to not throw out that the star player was coming in with Justin Bieber. Yeah, they're not going to start saying anything until the actual se- until the end of this hockey season, which is going to be a shame. But um, uh yeah, no, I completely see where you're coming from. I like, you know, kind of points into my topic about the networks and how they kind of beat off uh, basketball and beat the dead horse about it. Like, and when in reality, a lot of people are getting annoyed, which is why another reason why I haven't really paid attention to this basketball playoffs as much as I have have in years past, because like. It's just the same stuff over and over again. The only outlier is that I'm enjoying watching the Suns. Like, when there's a Suns game on, I will have it on because, like, I enjoy watching Devin Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton and all those guys. And I think that they have done a wonderful job out in the desert, and it's just something different. And I feel like that the Suns – I think the Suns could win it all. Um, I really hope so. I mean, right now, the way they're playing, it really looks like they could. They can make really light work out of anyone they play, just the play all around from, like, starters to their bench players. The Suns are getting fantastic play from everyone. I mean, you got Dre Crowder, who's looking like an absolute stud, who is, like, an average player. Like you said, Ayan has been phenomenal. And then you got Devin Booker and Chris Paul at your one and two who are just eating up minutes. I mean, Devin Booker playing up 42 minutes in the last – in that when they swept the Nuggets, he played 42 minutes. Chris Paul playing 40 minutes a game. I mean, Cameron Payne has looked really good for the time he's getting out there. Yes, and then Cameron even, Payne has been a good factor for them too. And then even Mikel Bridges is looking phenomenal for them as well, playing they in have the number good, five. They, they, just have, they have good players all around. I mean, they, they got the depth, and I really think they could do this thing. My thing is, is I always felt that the Suns were going to make the playoffs anyways because of how they performed well in the bubble. They mm-hmm. went 8-0 in the bubble and sadly didn't make the playoffs because it was stupid because of the stupid playing bullshit uh, last down there that was down there in the bubble. But uh, with the acquisition of Chris Paul, I felt that like he was going to improve them. But I didn't. I'm not going to lie. Like I did not expect the, the Phoenix Suns to actually make it to the conference finals. But now that the Phoenix Suns are in the conference finals, I think that they could end up making the NBA finals and actually winning and and actually doing something that Charles Barkley couldn't do with them and win a championship. Yeah, I agree with you that I think the Suns will win this NBA championship this year. 
Um, I, I really hope they play the 76ers because I really do think the 76ers are the best team out of the East. I don't want to see Brooklyn there. Um, no. I don't want to give up. The, I don't want to see the Bucks there because I don't want to give up the fact that um, Giannis Antetokounmpo can't get it done in playoffs. So even if they lose in the Eastern Conference Finals, they'll still be great because everyone can show that Giannis can't get it done. And uh, headlines headlines make sports. That could be a headline for a while. Yeah, that will definitely be a headline for a while. But don't uh, give the networks those. Don't give ESPN that headline just yet. Um, uh, but uh, no, and yeah, but um, uh, yeah, definitely there. I think those will be it there. I think that's that. I think that will be the finals. I think that will be the finals. Um, uh, we can go more into it um, uh, once these semis finish up and like we get into the conference finals and like we see like who the Suns eventually play. And then also who the uh, Eastern Conference uh, finals participants will be because there's still three games left to play between all between those three different series. But uh, going off of basketball, I want to go into our weekly dose of soccer and uh, just talk a little bit about Euro 2020. We have finished uh, every group has played every team in every group has played at least one has played one game. Mm-hmm. We are through the first round of the group stage games. Uh, tomorrow we'll start. The uh, second round, second match day two, day, match day two of the group stage, uh, and I just want like, what are your takes? Like, who... well, I would like to shout out you for being. I get they played Turkey, but I like to shout out you for being right about Italy taking on Turkey three to nothing. Um, I thought they looked phenomenal in the game, controlling most almost sixty five percent of the possession during the game. Um, their pass accuracy was phenomenal. Um, but no, I just like to point out you're being right about Italy. I mean, they looked, I, I get it was still Turkey, but I think they looked phenomenal. Um, I think most games, though, kind of played out how we really expected. There wasn't really any upsets besides maybe Slovakia against Poland, but uh, Poland was also a man down for just a little less than half the game. I, I mean, yeah. Ukraine, and then Ukraine gave the Netherlands a run for their money. For yep. sure, but I think the highlight of the tournament so far for me is North Mace- North Macedonia scoring a goal and then seeing their fans cry like in the stands. I, mean, I thought I, that was pretty cool. I agree with you there. I really agree with you there. Match day one of the Euros has brought some things. Uh, we had some. We had. We really didn't have any upsets. We had some very entertaining games. Uh, we had results that were expected. We have. We probably had the goal of the tournament too. We had the moment. Might be the, the goal of the year, to be honest. Probably. I, that, that's exactly what I'm thinking too. We did have uh, some good moments, and we also had some not good moments yeah. with the Christian Eriksen situation. But um, uh, I, mean, I want. There's light shed on that though. That to know he is doing good though. Yes, um, I don't know if he ever will play a soccer game again, though, because if that's like a heart condition, then he just might not play the game of soccer again, which will so, actually be sad to see. I do want to go into that a little bit, actually. So I want to shout out the entire Danish national team, and I know that they're not going to listen to the podcast. I know that they won't care too. I think that I think we actually have some part of the listeners in Denmark, though. So if they're hearing this, I want to shout out your national team. But um, uh, I want to shout out their captain because he was the first one to realize that something was wrong, and which it turned out to be cardiac arrest. Christian Eriksen had cardiac arrest and was apparently gone for a few minutes. So there's, their captain made sure that he like went to see what was wrong, gave him CPR. He, Anthony Taylor, the referee, stopped play right away. 
the Danish national team huddled around. And then there were two Finland fans that gave flags to cover up like when Ericsson was being taken off the pitch. So that whole situation, which was, which was a disaster to start with, turned out to be a great thing in terms of making sure that Ericsson was okay and that he was able to get off the pitch and not be seen by a lot of cameras. Yeah, I just and- like how they made sure that he wasn't seen by the cameras. Um I, I just hate the cameraman panning to Christian Erickson's wife at that moment. I think you could have did a little something better there. You don't want to – I mean, the guy was clearly – like it was a non-contact injury and the guy just collapsed on the field. You could have done something better with the cameras. But I, I don't want to beat the dead horse with that. But the whole Danish squad just circling around him and making sure no one sees what's actually going on. But, um, no, yeah, shout out to Denmark's captain for starting CPR right away as soon as he realized something was wrong. And that probably honestly just saved his life right there. Oh, it 100% did. And honestly, no matter like what, and I saw a post of this, I'm sure I shared it with you or whatever, but uh, you know, it doesn't matter who scored the most, who scores the goal of the tournament or who scored the most goals or who wins the tournament. But I think the day, the captain of the Danish national team, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people agree with this should be the player of the tour of the tournament for what he did as a show, uh, you know, just for like, as a show of like, you know, appreciation for what he did, because even UEFA ended up giving Christian Eriksen their man of the match award, uh, as, as a show of like, hey, we are glad that you are okay. Right. It, it goes to show that everyone is in this together. Like at the end of the day, it's more than a game. And that whole just moment right there, like it turned like clearly it's a shitty situation. And I don't wish that upon anyone. No. But it was bravo to everyone who did good in that situation. I mean, it's just it, it's just sad to see a guy who's probably the best shape he's been in his life that just happened to him. I I agree with you wholeheartedly, and like you said, like like you said, you know, it's probably a heart issue, especially because like now that we know he suffered cardiac arrest. I mean, this isn't the first time that uh, a soccer player has had like a heart abnormality that they're just figuring out now. Like Iker Casillas, the legendary Spanish goalkeeper, had to retire because he had a heart attack and had a heart abnormalities. Uh, Daily Blind uh, has uh, has heart abnormalities, but he still continues to play for Ajax in the Netherlands. Uh, the former Italian defender Davida Story uh, sadly died in his sleep uh, because of a heart abnormality, which is still painful to this day uh, in terms of like you know talking about it because uh, and especially if you are a fan of the Italian national team, like uh, uh, because you know so he was only in he was only in his twenties. And yeah. he passed away in his 20s, like, in his sleep because of this heart issue. Like, it's very sad. And then I also, like, you know, there have been many – there have uh, – one instance, like, incident that came to mind uh, that a lot of people don't know about. And for those that don't know this, that listen to the podcast, uh, the guy from Bolton, Fabrisa Mwamba, or however you pronounce his name, he collapsed on the pitch, uh, like, almost a decade ago and, su- and suffered, and suffered like, a heart attack or cardiac arrest or, or what, or something along the lines where he had issues with his heart and was forced to retire from soccer. I mean, the guy is still alive right now, and he's a huge advocate for, like, you know, player, uh, players' health, uh, player health in terms of, like, you know, making sure that something like this doesn't uh, happen again, which is sad to see that it has happened again. Uh, going back at least a decade with what happened with uh, Fabrice Mwamba, yeah, Mwamba there. But, uh, you know, it, it was a shitty situation with Erickson, but he is alive. He's in stable condition. He probably won't play a game of soccer ever again, but hopefully he'll be discharged from the hospital soon to uh, 
see Denmark uh, go as far as they can go without him in the tournament. But um, uh, going back to on the pitch now, um, yeah, Patrick Schick, I believe, has scored the goal of the tournament in match day one. Um, I have no idea what the Scottish goalkeeper was doing there. He was so far off. He was he, like – He was higher up than Manuel Neuer sits. That's ridiculous. I He was a bit – I think he was like right behind midfield, if not at midfield. I don't get what – especially – like I would get like say it's like the 88th minute and you're down by a goal. Like I get it. You were down a but goal. but You were down a goal. Like a... It was a 57th minute, right? 57th, yeah. 58th minute. What are you doing all the way up there? I mean, that was an absolute joke to me. But um, no, that's definitely the goal. I mean, he hit that perfectly. He hit that. He hit that perfectly. He he just timed that to perfection, honestly. And I mean, like I was in shock. I mean, like I'm, I'm, I, you know, I was sitting on the couch, like because I was taking a break from work, and I was just had to, and I put the game on just to check out what was going on. And I'm like, wait a sec, holy fuck! And that was the first thing that came out of my mouth because I'm, and I sent you the video of it. And I'm like, yeah, oh my! I was on my way to golf. He's having the videos. Like, there's absolutely no way. But uh. No, yeah, I, I mean, I picked Scotland to get out of this group, and it's just a lot tougher task now, losing your first game 2-0. Especially to a team that you thought Scotland would have beat. I mean, I'm, exactly. not to, I'm not trying to diss the checks in any way, but the thing is, though, is like you think that with what Scotland has on their team, they'd be able to beat the Czech Republic. Now they go up against England on Friday, and then they have Croatia to play in match day three in their group. I don't, there's no, Scotland may walk away with, walk out of this tournament with no points. Yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough pill for me to swallow saying one of my guys is the captain of that squad, but I may pick them to get out. I picked them to be second in that group. So that's going to be tough for me to swallow. But I can see, I don't think there's any chance they beat England on Friday. No, God, I, no. I, I, I really don't think there's any chance. Um, I think Croatia is going to Croatia is a good team. I mean, they were just in the uh, World Cup final for five years Three ago. Three years ago. Three years ago. Three, thank you. Thank you. I, we're not that, we're, it hasn't been that long. It hasn't right. been that long. It feels, it feels like that long since. It I, does. It does. Yes, but, um, but, uh, yeah, you're right. But yeah, they were just in the World Cup final. So I don't see any way. That Scotland, I don't think Scotland will win a game now. Yeah, after I, seeing that, like that, that I chalked it up for Scotland as a for sure win against the Czech Republic, and now and maybe getting a point against Croatia. But right now, now it's just looking. It's a very going to be a very tough hill to climb, especially since on this podcast, me and Jeremy think football is coming home. I don't. I don't think Scotland beats England. No, Scotland does not beat England. I think that with the high that England is coming off of beating Croatia, if if, if, the, if the greatest manager in the world, Gareth Southgate, can finally get his shit together and actually uh, put out a competent – well, uh, put out a team that doesn't have Kyrian Trippier at left back and also put out uh, Jack hey, Grealish and I, have him connect with Phil Foden, I believe that England could run right over Scotland I, like 4 or 5 nil. I said this to you the other day when we were talking, and I'm going to double down on it. I, I don't want to give Gare, I don't want to give Southgate any credit. But I just think he's doing it for so people don't have uh don't have some film on Foden and Grealish playing together. That is the reason. <laughs> like Karen yeah. Trippi is thrown in there just to make all of England mad. He's like, yeah, let me piss off this country real fast. Throw yeah, let's put, how do you bring yeah. I just don't get how you're gonna bring that many good uh backs into your right backs into your lineup and then just be like, Yep, yeah, he's going out there. No, he it, has, well, I get me. I get I get he just won the La Liga. I get it. But then again, you still have better options. But he's not left back. That's what kills me. You literally have 
a Champions League winning left back and one of the best informed left backs in the world, and Luke Shaw and Ben Chilwell, and you put Kieran Trippier at left back, who never played left back a day in his life. I mean, I'm not going to. It really irked me when I saw the lineup in front. When I saw the lineup Sunday morning, I'm like, I send you the lineup. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? It literally irked me. Part of me really wanted England to lose, just because of Kieran Trippier. Well, and Jordan, why is Jordan Pickford in goal? Because Dean Henderson had to come back and uh, has a he has a hip injury. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, okay, all right. I well, take see, that back. I, I, thought, I thought he was starting. I thought he was going to start. I didn't realize I, that. It was see, that I thought issue. that too. I thought that too. I'm not. I'm with you on that because I thought Henderson was fine. Uh, but but I thought I didn't realize that it was that bad of an issue. Well, what kills me is like about it is like everybody's talking about. I don't. I think their defense is okay. I don't think it's awful. I think that, like, you know, you have Kyle Walker. Kyle Walker is their right back. I mean, I feel like that Southgate likes Walker too much. That not well, Kyle Walker's on City, so that's why he's out there. He's like, yep, Kyle Walker plays for City. He's going out. No. Yeah, Kieran Trippier plays for plays for Athletic Madrid. He's yeah. going out. No, that does, that's not how it works. Like, I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, like, if Harry Maguire wasn't injured, Harry Maguire would be center back partnership with John Stones. But Tyrone Mains has done, did a phenomenal job. Uh, but I also want to shout out Calvin Phillips, the, play, uh, the midfielder from Leeds United there. And I know we're talking biased England talk right now, but I don't care. But uh, <laughs> he, he performed exceptional. He played, yeah, he, did. he put on a man of the match performance in his first international comp in, a, in his first match in an international competition like that. Uh, pretty much like, you know, the country, the, the, the England national team, like the whole country's shoulders are on this team. Leeds, Leeds fans are probably stroking themselves off seeing that. Leeds fans were probably pissed off at everybody for calling them garbage during the Premier League. Oh season. no, Leeds! Yeah, uh, Leeds fans were definitely stroking themselves off after that game, seeing that performance from him. But they were probably pissed off at everybody else and saying he did a good job. But then, like they say, he's garbage during the Prem season. Well, yeah, well, but that's how it works. Well. I mean, I mean, well, fuck! I just hate Jordan Pickford because he put VVD out for the season. But still, fuck Jordan Pickford. Um, Dean Henderson should be the starting goal. Time. I mean, unless he's battling an injury that's worse than we think it is. Yeah, then, no, he's then out I, of the squad. Then I okay. Then I understand it. He's out of the squad. Yeah, Dean Henderson's. Oh, they completely squad. dropped him. Like they completely dropped him today. They put Aaron. Ram- they called up Aaron Ramsdale. So their oh, I, I didn't see that they completely. So their goalkeepers him. are now Jordan Pickford, Aaron Ramsdale, and I think it's ah oh, shit one of the Burnley goalkeepers. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but no. I, I just hope Jordan Pickford now doesn't have a fluke like he did against uh, Liverpool two years ago. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if I, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, did he have a did he have a bad play in the World Cup uh, three years ago? He didn't. He no, he played really well actually. I mean, okay. he he played all he played really well. I uh, but uh, going off of England and we all know it's coming home obviously. But uh, I also want to talk about the Netherlands and I also want to talk Spain a little bit because I'm not going to lie. Like I, I'm not like I know that Sweden isn't terrible, but I was surprised that Spain drew Sweden. No, like they they had that nil nil draw after dominating so much with possession. Like you really thought that maybe Spain would have scored like one or two goals, uh, but now I feel like that maybe Spain. You know, has a tougher road ahead to uh, yeah. get out of their group. Yeah, I thought for sure Spain would have looked a little better, but um, no, I mean Spain still really. If you look like watch like I know you watching it, but I think they really kind of just dominated the play. I mean, they almost had they were eighty six percent possession, right? Something stupid like that. 
Yeah, they had like they, they completely dominated Sweden. But uh, I mean, if you're gonna have 17 shots, only put five on target. I mean, I get it's soccer, but you need a better, need a little bit better. Uh, well, showing them that, and then not the yeah. I mean, Fernando Torres. I mean, uh, to draw Sweden, to draw field. Sweden is tough because now you got to go face Poland, who's going to be, I think Poland with eleven men should have won, should have won their game against Slovakia. But I mean, down when you're playing with ten men, I mean they still dominate with ten men. Yeah. So I think Spain. I excuse me. I think Poland could really win this game against Spain. When they play Saturday, right? Yeah, they play Saturday. Yeah, they play Saturday, yes. And then Spain's got Slovakia. And Slovakia, like, I I think Spain could beat Slovakia just because Poland really dominated them. In my, like, Poland dominated Slovakia. And they only had 10 men, in my opinion. I mean, I just could be biased because I picked I, – I like that Poland squad. I told you they're my sleeper. Yes. Uh, this is a group but, that I feel like but, um, three or four. This is a group that I feel like three or four points will just top the group. Yeah, I, I mean, like I mean, Chesney, I think let in. Uh, I mean, he had an own goal. Yeah, and then I, I think goal. their I think their second goal, or I think uh, Slovakia's second goal. I mean, he I think he should have had, in my opinion. I think that's a weak goal to let in, but that's that's me. I'm not a professional Chesney, goalie for a reason, Chesney. clearly. Chesney's sh- not a good goalkeeper. I mean, he clearly couldn't get it done in Arsenal. Well, I mean, I don't blame I don't blame Chesney for Arsenal's issues. I think Arsenal's just a no, no. I'm talking about years past. Oh, years past. Well, I still think when, when, no. When he was at Arsenal, like I don't think he could got, he got the job done when he was at Arsenal. He could he he does good enough at he does, Juventus. Juven- he is fine for Juventus, but I mean, Juventus is just a stacked squad. Yeah. When he was playing, when he plays for Arsenal, I think. I just don't think that Arsenal squad was tough enough. Is what I'm saying. That- no, I don't think so either. But the thing is, though, is I don't think that like he was uh, he was their better option in terms of like who they had in goal all those years ago. So and now him playing for Poland, I mean, like, eh, that was a garbage own goal that he let in. He really should have done a, a lot better at his near post. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I really feel like that. I feel like that if you have four points. Out of, if whoever gets four points out of their next two games, whoever gets four points um, uh, is going to top the group. Slovakia already has three. I feel like uh, Slovakia. Uh, Slovakia. If wins Slovakia, if Slovakia can get a win, if Slovakia gets a win, they're for sure through. They're for Even sure if through. Slovakia draws, I think they can take second in this group. I feel like Slovakia wins. Slovakia wins. They're for sure through taking the group. Yeah. And it all depends on like what happens between the rest because Poland has no points, obviously, because they lost. And then Spain and Sweden each have one. Spain, Spain have, I think Poland. I think Poland could win their next two. To be honest, I think Poland beats Spain. I think I think there's going to be a one nil game where Spain controls possession of the play, and it's just going to be like Poland might have like two shots on net and one goal. It's going to come from Liwa, and I think they could beat Spain, and I think just the way Sweden looked against Spain, I think Poland could take that game. I think Poland could take Sweden, too. Sweden's just that tough defensive team, though. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 if, if Ibrahimovic was still playing on the Swedish national squad, I think Sweden could really win, could have won this group. I mean, Sweden really. I see. I had this conversation with a guy with uh, with a guy that I work with, and he was talking about like you know Slatan and his impact on the Swedish team. But then I also look back at the Swedish team in the 2018 World Cup, and they yeah. made the quarterfinals without Ibrahimovic. So maybe I think, yeah, it's like a counter effect. Like you know, maybe maybe it's a good thing that as much as we love Zlatan, maybe it's a good thing that he's not on this Swedish team. 
because now they're playing like a team, whereas if they had Zlatan... They're they looking for Zlatan, yeah, Zlatan. they're just relying on him up top. Exactly. So maybe, like, it, it's just tough to tell, but you know, I would be surprised. You know, honestly, this could be... This is a hot take. Spain doesn't go through. Spain does not go through wow. to the to the, to the the knockouts. Well, I, I mean, really, I can see, I mean, didn't they... And three years ago in the World Cup, didn't they get knocked out on the first they, day of uh, knockouts? They got knocked out in the round of sixteen. They lost yeah. uh, on PKs to Russia, and yeah. that's when that's like that's when the accusations of Russia doping in the World Cup came about. Remember, it shouldn't be an accusation. You like like I said last podcast, you should just assume anytime Russia has a team anywhere, they're doping. I don't yeah. care what you say, Putin. I still love you. Don't kill me. Um, but no, you should just assume Dope. anytime a Russian team is anywhere, like if you see the name Russia, be like, yeah, they're doping. Even if Probably. it's like, even if it's like, say the Russian like like geometry team or something like they had a team for that they have to be doping still they have to be good at math to have a <laughs> to have a math math league team though but um uh, but yeah no i would not be i mean i don't see spain going through i mean uh i don't see spain going through um uh well uh, they have such a tough i think like like in my opinion they just have a tough task against poland and if they don't yeah. t- if, if poland wins then poland has the three points whatever happens between um <clears throat> excuse me slovakia and sweden I mean, if Slovakia somehow pulls it up, they have six points. Poland's got three, and then Sweden's still Sweden at one. They just yeah. have such a tough task ahead. So that Spain would Spain would have to play in a must-win game against Slovakia. And if Slovakia, the thing is though, if Slovakia clinches the group on six points, they may rest some of their players, and it all comes down to like you know that final match day there, which will always add to like intriguing drama there. But uh, I want to go into the Netherlands group now. And talk about them because I really feel like they are the Netherlands are gonna be that cardiac team to watch in the tournament. Like, you know, it's gonna be like watching um leads in the Premier League. You know, you expect them to score goals, but then like when they concede, like they did like they had that wild game against Ukraine, like you just don't know what to expect from them, you know? Right. And yeah, I picked them I picked them to top this group, but you're right. I thought they would have played a little better against Ukraine. I mean, they came out and got to one. I mean, shout out my boy, Genie Wijnaldum. Uh, get, but they gave up. Well, I, I get uh, Netherlands scored two within a matter of six minutes. But then they gave up two in the 75th and the 79th against Ukraine. And the possession, I mean, I get they had over 60% possession. But, I mean, I would have thought, like you're saying, like I thought they would have looked better. Oh, I agree. I think they. I thought they would look better too. Can we talk about Andre Yarmol? Uh, can we talk about that goal that uh, was scored by Yarmolenko? Though, I mean, like if it wasn't for uh, Patrick Schick, I thought that may that would have been an early contender for goal of the tournament there. But uh, obviously, not anymore because of Patrick Schick's goal. But uh, that was a good goal that he scored against the Netherlands, uh, Yarmolenko. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, but uh, yeah. No, I mean, like, the Dutch right now, honestly, I mean, like, they are that cardiac team where, like... Wait, 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 wait. I, Sorry to interrupt you, but wasn't it that the second goal they scored was that nice header, right? If I remember correctly. Yes. Okay, so let me take a look at... Or, sorry, Yarmolenko's was the first goal, right? Yarmolenko's... Oh, okay, yeah, then, yes. That, that was a... That was honestly... That was just a great strike. What do you put the top left corner? Just... Outside the box is beautiful strike. Played a pearl. I don't get what Netherlands goalie was up doing so high with that shot, but I mean, then again, yeah. I'm not a goalie for a reason. But yeah, that was a beautiful, just right under That's, the bar, right? Yeah, exactly. So going into Group C, actually, I want to take a look here. Like, I think that like the Netherlands will still find a way to go through, but I. 
Well, especially taking the first point, especially taking three on day one. Day on day one. But I think that Austria could top the group, actually, just based on how they played again. I understand it was North Macedonia. Yeah, it was North Macedonia, but they did look good. But they looked good. They looked good. I mean, I feel like Austria could give the Netherlands a run for their money in terms of topping the group. But the thing is, though, is, like, when it comes to, like, talking, like, you know, figuring out, like, who wants to – top the group or come in second or even be one of the third one of the fourth third place teams like if you come top of the group like that doesn't mean necessarily a good thing like you could end up topping a bad draw yeah you get a bad draw yeah exactly you could be like you could be austria and top group c and you could end up facing like the second play the runner-up of group f who could be anywhere either france portugal or germany and you could screw yourself because of that and that and I want to go into Group F now, and I, you know, we mentioned this a little bit before we went onto the pod, but I think Germany are done. I think they are toast. Yeah, I mean Germany, like I said, the past couple of years have looked at the international level. And then I get it was an own goal that France scored, but France also had two goals disallowed. Fuck VAR. Yeah, English Jake. They had two goals disallowed, and I just think France. I got to see some highlights of it because I was working today, so I didn't get to see any of the game. Like, I get the, the, Germany controlled the game with possession, correct? If I'm not wrong, uh, Germany controlled, uh, not that one. So, I want to take a look here. Let me take a look here. Oh, yeah, Germany, six, yeah, Germany had 62% possession. Yep, Germany but had 62% you, possession. You have 10 and shots X, and only one on shots. target. That's terrible. I mean, they had you need 10 to... shots, seven chances created. They had 89% set. Yeah, they had more. They had a lot. They had one shot on target. Only one. Yeah. It was crazy. Like, it's really crazy. They had seven shots inside the box, um, uh, th- uh, three shots outside the box. Like, they just go. They actually looked better than France in terms of playing on the pit. But the thing is, though, is I don't care that France only had 38% possession. They actually came alive in the second half. Yeah. And with those two beautiful goals that were disallowed because, well, fuck VAR, because I don't care. Like, I know Mbappe was a whole body offside on his first when he scored uh, that when he scored that wonderful solo goal. But, um, uh, I mean, you can't, it's a crime to take a goal away like that. And then I, a knee is a knee. Like, I, 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 like, if you're not going to call, if you wouldn't called it before VAR, you're not going to call it after VAR. Like, that's my problem with this. Like, you can't, you can't get into this ticky tacky stuff like, oh, a guy could score with that part of his body. No, like, it should come down to the linesman seeing what he sees. Exactly. And if he misses a moment because he blinks or if he misses a moment. That's what makes it the beautiful game, though. Well, what used to make it the beautiful game was just, that I mean, you think about it. Maradona would have never won a World Cup if it wasn't for the hand of God. <laughs> yeah, it would have came home in 1986. I actually, I don't think, I don't think English uh, to this day, English fans uh, still hate Argentina because of that. Um, uh, but uh, get over, uh, get over it. I guess they you lost the game. Uh, yeah, he's two of two of the most fa- two of the most infamous goal and the most famous goal in World Cup history were scored both in that game. Yep. The hand of God and then a beautiful solo run, which is pretty sad that the hand of God out uh, is more known than the solo goal that he scored. Uh, well, I mean, think about the hand well. of God. Like if if that was done today, that wouldn't be a thing because of a handball. But like now, people get to talk about that for generations, generations. Yeah, and that's because, why they should keep. That's why I think they should take VAR out of the game because 
no one would have seen that. Only Maradona would have known. Well, I mean, I get with YouTube and stuff and like social media. Now we would have known because we can see the video. But back yeah, then, like, it's just he knew and, like, yeah, the rep didn't see it. So it's only really who saw it and knew. And exactly. And then it's just a matter of like selling, like, okay, yeah, I scored, but I scored with my hand. But don't, don't, don't make it look like that. But yeah, no, I mean, like, yeah, okay, Mbappe was off by a knee. But are you going, are, are you expected to score a goal with your fucking knee? Well, I did once in Iron Catholic, so uh, VA. Okay, and there's that, a man. difference between comparing garbage Catholic <laughs> league soccer and the and an international tournament. Oh, oh it, was, hey, it, was, it was still a goal on my chart. They don't ask how they ask how many, Jeremy. This is true. Clint Dempsey did actually. You know what? You make a point because Clint Dempsey did score a goal in the World Cup with his dick. Okay, that got a, ball got a hammer. That that ball did come off his dick when that ball was crossed into him, which actually I think I still think to this day was a, just a poorly taken shot, but he was at the right place at the right time. That's all it comes down to, right place, right time. That's all you need in this world. But um, uh, I going back to on the topic now, I think that Germany are done. I they pl- I understand that they play. I understand that they um uh, still have Hungary to play. And, right, they still have Hungary to play. But the thing is, though, is that they don't play Hungary until the third game. They play Portugal next on Saturday, match day two. And honestly, if Germany loses to Portugal, they still have no points. They need to solely rely on beating Hungary and then outside help and then outside help there, which uh, is and then outside help, obviously, for uh, other teams in third place or whatnot. I really think that Germany could be out in the group stage. Yeah, they're going to need at least probably four, maybe even five. Oh, they can't get five at this point. Um, they can't get five. They're going to need four they, points. They're going to need four points to maybe possibly, depending on how the other groups pan out, to make it through with that third slot. I don't think there's any way that Germany takes top two in this in this no. in this group now. No, if Germany beats Portugal, uh, if Germany beats Portugal, I will be completely shocked because I understand that like watching Hungary hold on for 84 minutes there uh, was something spectacular in itself. But Portugal came alive in the final 12 minutes of the game, and it was just wild. I mean, uh, for for them to score three goals in the 12 in a 12 minute span like that, it just goes to show that like you know. Portugal mean business in this tournament, even though they're in a group with the defending World Cup champions and also a a powerhouse like Germany. But Portugal are the defending European champions. They're also the defending Nations League winners. So they are a powerhouse in themselves. They have quality talent. Obviously, it starts with Cristiano Ronaldo. Then it goes to Bruno Fernandes and Bernardo Silva and Jao uh, Felix and then Jao Cancelo. And great goaltending. Yeah, Rui Patricio Pepe is still a rocket defense at 37 years of age, for crying out loud. He's like a fine wine, just like Ibrahimovic gets fine with age, even though he's a scumbag. <laughs> yeah. Oh. You need scumbags in the game that'll make it fun. Oh, I just realized. It's a it's a rematch of the group stage in the 2014 World Cup. Uh, Pepe gets to meet his good friend Thomas 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 Mueller after the infamous headbutting incident seven years ago. <laughs> I actually forgot about that. You just brought that. I completely forgot that happened. Seven years ago was the great headbutting incident. It wasn't even a headbutt. He just kind of pressed his head. It was just a Mueller... little, just a little, just a little love tap, and then Mueller had a little bit of floppy sold it. Good for him. Good for him. I mean, it ended up. You're gonna sell it, sell it good at least. 
Yeah, it ended up costing that incident itself. Actually, ended up costing Portugal a spot in the knockouts. I mean, yeah. um, I mean, it is what it is there. But uh, yeah, I just thought about that right now. I mean, that's you know, that's seven years ago. That's uh, they get two old, two quote unquote old friends get to see each other uh, for the in international competition for the first <laughs> time since that incident. If I'm correct there. But, uh, yeah, no, I feel if Germany yeah. loses to Portugal, they're out. If they somehow beat Portugal, then, well... They need a draw at least against Portugal. If They, they need a draw at least against Portugal because, I'm sorry, Hungary, uh, I don't see you guys winning a game this hey. tournament. I just, I just oh, feel hey, Hungary, Hungary could go 2-0 and in their next two. If don't, Hungary, don't, never say never, Jeremy. If Hungary, if goes, Hungary, through, if Hungary France, goes through, I'm streaking in the streets. If Hungary beats France alone, I will lose it. I may need to check myself into the into Strong Memorial Hospital's mental ward. I'm saving that for when England win. That's why. But I don't want to go there before that. <laughs> don't but, want to go there any sooner than you need to. I don't want to go there sooner than I need to. Exactly. But it's it's the Euros. It's an international tournament. It's like the playoffs. Anything can happen. But uh, if I'm, I feel bad for Hungary. But um, uh, honestly, if, uh, if Portugal lose to Germany, then we have a group on our hands. Because then Germany would play Hungary and Portugal still have to play France. Yeah. If, yeah. If Germany somehow pours it through Portugal. I think France takes all three games, in my opinion. France definitely takes all three games. It's just a matter of who comes second between. And I feel bad for discounting Hungary. I mean, I I know that you thought I know that you thought Hungary was good. They're, the they're my Cinderella team. Yeah, they're gonna top the group and they're gonna ride the waves all the way to the final, where they'll beat England on the 90th yeah, minute. We gotta we gotta send them Sister Jean over there from uh, Loyola. Send oh Sister Jean God. over there to the Hungary team. Maybe they'll get some good luck. <laughs> oh my oh boy but uh one more thing i do want to say about the euros is that there were sixty thousand fans at the puskas arena puskas stadium in uh in hung in hungary today watching hungary take on portugal and that was the largest crowd we had seen in any professional soccer match in in the world since the uh, coronavirus pandemic started back in march of 2020 and i just want to say that we are fucking back. We are back in football. We have been back in general, but now the cycle is complete. And I am just happy to say that because you know what? I've been looking to see. I've been looking forward to seeing full capacity at stadiums for for soccer mainly for a long time. And I it's and it's sad that England won't be able to see full capacity because of their government, but. Um, uh, but it was good to see 60,000 at the Puskas Arena today. It, it felt amazing. Right. No, it does. The world is back, and uh, hopefully we get full fans everywhere in the short time coming. But, uh, no, another great podcast, Jeremy. Another good podcast. Um, do you have any final thoughts? I do have a final thought for myself, but do you have any final thoughts as well, sir? Um, no, just football is coming home. Uh, another U.S. Another major this weekend in golf, so I'm always excited for that. I'm a big golf guy, but uh, no, go Islanders. Uh, football's coming home, and uh, let's have some good golf this weekend. Agreed, agreed, agreed. My final thought is this. I just want to say that I don't know what Jamie Vardy was thinking when he was doing when this happened, when he decided to do this, but I'm glad that Jamie Vardy was doing this. 
Um, for those that don't know that don't know who Jamie Vardy is, he is a English football legend and cult hero. He is a Premier League winner, an FA Cup winner with Leicester City. He's still currently playing for the team, but he had today he officially became co-owner of the Rochester Rhinos, uh, formerly of the USL. Now, Rochester, the Rochester Rhinos have a good illustrious history. They're four-time USL uh, champions, and they also won the U.S. Open Cup in 1999. They've had some financial issues. They've been out of soccer, American soccer since 2017. The Dworkin family has been trying to get them back into relevance, not just in Rochester soccer, but also American soccer as well. And with this announcement today by Jamie Vardy, it just goes to show that yeah, it just goes to show that, like, it's it's great to see players, you know, investing into the game. I'm I'm just shocked that he chose the lilacs, the flower city of all places to go there, the city that I live in. Like, when I found that out this morning, like, I was completely and utterly baffled at that move. I'm like, holy shit, Jamie Vardy investing in the Rhinos. I understand that it will be a small partnership, but to have a name like that get involved in a small soccer club right. soccer club in America not just in America like i mean you when you expect players to get involved for you expect players, big cities yeah you expect big cities and Rochester is even the best city in New York and he's still involved in it. maybe he visited Rochester once and fell in love with the city who knows yeah, maybe. I don't even know if he actually came. I don't know how that came about, honestly, but, like, you expect, like, you know, you expect, like, you know, like what happened with Beckham to – um uh Miami, get involved, Miami, or you know, uh, or even what, or even like you know, all the stars in Los Angeles uh, for LAFC, or even Seattle when, uh, or even Seattle. I know Russell Wilson. Yeah, he's not a soccer player, but he's still a high-profile athlete getting involved with the Sounders. Like you expect, like cities like that. You don't expect Rochester. So I don't know how that came about, but I know one thing. He'll fall. He'll love the festival of lilacs. I mean, you know, come on, you can't go wrong with that. But no, I am extremely proud, uh, you know, because that's not only good for Rochester, it's good for American soccer. It's good for the USL. I mean, who knows? Maybe Vardy. I understand Vardy still has some time left at Leicester. Uh, he still thinks he, he still can play at a competitive level with Leicester city, but who knows? Maybe, you know, he'll become player part owner and, uh, Maybe take his talents here to uh, Rochester and play for the Rhinos when they get back up and running uh, like they plan to in 2022. But uh, only time will tell there. But um, that's my final thoughts there. I don't have anything else other than it's coming home. It's coming home. It's fucking coming home. Okay. I mean, obviously still have some time, but one win down, six to go. England's winning. Um, that concludes another episode of the Lonely Hearts Sports Podcast. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram and on Twitter as well. We have created the Twitter account. Yes, I found the, the Twitter at is it's at Lonely Heart Pod. Um, someone else had taken our name, and then Lonely Hearts Sports Podcast was too long, so it's at Lonely Heart Pod. All right, at Lonely Heart Pod. You can follow us on Instagram at Lonely Heart Sports Podcast uh, as well. Uh, but other than that, you know, like Jake said, we're going to have a good week in the golf. Still got the Euros. Uh, you know, we got the Euros going on. It's coming home. Uh, beautiful weather outside. Shit, just enjoy life at this moment, at this point, and uh, keep on keeping on. I want another good podcast go- done. Uh-huh.